be a, a smaller group uh, with the snow and everything. Glad, as, as beautiful as the snow was, that we can get around and do what we need to do. Uh, and so glad to have you back with us tonight. Um, so please turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Nehemiah. And as we move to this portion of the book, again, it's been a few weeks that we've been away. Uh, basically, all of the vision casting has been done in terms of what Nehemiah's vision is to rebuild these walls, to restore safety and security within the city of Jerusalem. That's all basically in those first two chapters, and that's kind of done. And then now they're beginning to make plans, and that's kind of leading into where we are. And then really, this is when we get down to work. Let's get the project actually done. And uh, in, in large part, chapter 3, as you look at it, and there's a lot there, it's a, it's a longer chapter, it's, it's kind of a building report. It's basically telling us what they built and how they divided the labor. And so on one hand, as you read it, especially just kind of on the surface, you might think, well, this doesn't quite sound as spiritual and, and as edifying and as interesting as the first couple of chapters, but there's, there's really a lot for us to see here in terms of principles. And so we're going to be drawing out that. Um, we, we, should, we should never too quickly glance over things that seem to, oh, those are just genealogies. We don't need to worry too much about that. Or, or those are just, again, this block of historical data. No, no, no. These are things that are here for our edification. I hope that that's evident tonight as we look through it. Uh, and so we've read about, uh, or we're going to read here about this, this great construction project. Um, and what we see here is this picture of, of God's people carrying out a mission together. And that's going to be one of the key themes, that they're doing this together and how they're doing it together. And so Nehemiah brings this vision and the people are rallying together to fulfill what really becomes a calling. A calling from God, really told and cast by Nehemiah to God's people in Jerusalem. And this is really a striking example for God's people in every age. And so again, I think it's a lot for us to think about. Um, But what we're also going to see and I'll kind of circle back around to this at the end, is that as we read this, we're, we're reading the fulfillment of God's promises. Promises of old. And uh, we'll come back to that, looking at the way that the, the things that the prophets have foretold are here being fulfilled in Nehemiah chapter 3. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually not going to read it all sort of word for word because there is a lot there. You might, you might read it on your own. And honestly, there's some interesting stuff in here. And I'm going to draw out some things here and there as we go through. But basically... What we're seeing here uh, is sort of the lineup of Nehemiah's team. As, as we go through the rest of the book, there'll kind of be references back to what we're seeing here in chapter 3. So as we look at this building plan, this project come together, we also get a sense of all the key characters that are going to be involved. Uh, I mean, one commentator likens it to sort of a sporting event. You know, they announce the lineup and all the characters come out. You're going to be seeing these people later. These are the ones that we're going to be seeing doing these things throughout the book of Nehemiah. So there really is a lot there that historically and as far as the, the book itself is, is, is important. But I'm just going to kind of walk through and give some highlights. And so in verses 1 through 4, if we did read those, we basically get uh, the initial survey of the work that's going to be done. And you can kind of even glance there and and sort of move your eyes through and see a few highlights there. Um, T.J. Betts, a commentator, helps us to see that that if we go through, it's going to be very specific about the parts of the wall that they're reading. And basically, he's going to work from the main city wall in Jerusalem as you come in and then go counterclockwise, all the different parts, all the different gates, all the different sections that are going to be rebuilt. And so there's a lot of detail here. Um, you know, I think about our guys that work in construction. I don't think Lee's with us tonight, right? I think some of our guys that work in that, I mean, they might find this really interesting because it's very detailed, all the different parts uh, that'll be built, the different gates that are going to be built. 
And, um, and even historically, we can go back and look at these things, some of them still having some evidence today, some of them having to be seen through archaeology. And um, Nehemiah is going to tell us who built what and where, and he offers us details about logistics, about location, about some of the materials that they use, about size and proportion of the wall. And uh, there's just a lot of historical detail that's here, which is, again, one of the reasons I'm not going to read it thoroughly, but it's, it's interesting stuff. And, and there are a lot of details that we could look at, but basically, these are some t- we're going to be looking at some takeaways as we go through. So if you glance at verse 5, kind of the first thing I want to look out there, as we see many people are, by this point, in those first five verses, joining together, they're getting busy, they're doing the work in these key parts of the wall initially, starting again in that main area. And then we get this little side note there. We see that there's a group of men from Tekoa, Tekoites, um, they're busy at work, and it's, they're actually going to come up more than once in the passage. They're going to come up later in verse 30 or 29, somewhere toward the end of the passage, the, the uh, Tekoites. And, uh, and it's, it's, there's this contract, so we see that these men are very busy, they're eager, there's some of the first that are in there, and yet it says, look what it says, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. You see that in the text? What a contrast. Their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? So at first glance, you might go, okay, well, why is it these nobles are so unwilling to work? The nobles are the wealthy, right? The people who come from the upper classes. You might assume that, well, they probably think that manual labor is below them, and so they, they don't want to serve because, you know, we'll let, the, we'll let the, the other guys, the blue-collar guys, so to speak, it really doesn't exist in the ancient world, but we'll, we'll let them do it, but we're, we're, we're above that. But there's actually probably almost certainly something else going on here, and there's some indications in the text that show us why. So the city of Tekoa was about 11 and a half miles due south from Jerusalem, pretty close to Bethlehem. You know where Bethlehem is, just south of Jerusalem. And so it's, it's down to the south toward the end of what would really be their territory. It's the hometown of Amos, the prophet. And so we know Amos. But it was also very close to the region that was governed by Geshem, the Arab. And if you remember that name, and maybe you don't, again, it's been a few weeks, but he was one of the first and the strongest opponents against Nehemiah that, that basically is going to slander him, that's going to try to bring all kinds of opposition toward him. And so what is almost certainly happening here is that these nobles, who usually have more to lose, are probably afraid of reprisal, that if they join in this effort, this guy down to the south, this ruler, this influential and violent and, and man who's already been opposed to this effort uh, might cause them some trouble. And so in this case, that it's fear, it is self-preservation that keeps them to the sidelines. And so we see all these motivations as we go through, and this is interesting here, that those sort of things could keep these men from joining in. And they are remembered forever, these nobles from Tekoa, for their, what is very likely, fear. Their, their desire for self-preservation over doing the Lord's work. Now look back at the survey then as we go through. If you look at verse 13, we'll get some measurements in there, some specific things. This, this is the, the largest portion of the wall, about 500 yards. So think about five football um, stadiums in length. This is, this is probably the longest portion of the wall. Um, there's a lot of historical stuff I could share about this. This wall was probably still partially intact because it was less important to the defenses of the city, and so it might be that it had not totally been torn down uh, when the Babylonians had come in. Um, but we see, we see a really eclectic workforce here. In verse 17, we see the Levites. 
You don't really think of the Levites as men who are going to be good with their hands. They basically serve the temple. Um, their, their assistance within the temple. A very important calling for them. In verse 31, we see goldsmiths. So people who are really good at working with precious materials. And we can go, go through and look at all the different, the eclectic group of people that was here. But the point I'm making is that this, this mission brought together people from all kinds of backgrounds. Every walk of life. All kinds of different skills. And yet they're all going to rally together for this great work. This common cause that Nehemiah has set before them in the name of the Lord. And so I want to conclude with basically a, a couple of practical takeaways and then, uh, and then just some final kind of theological reflections as we think about the bigger picture of what Nehemiah chapter 3 is about. And so first is, is I want us to think about just the, how, that we should be impressed, I think is a good way to say it. We should be impressed by the eager willingness of the people to work, to get up, to go, to get their hands dirty, to be busy about it, uh, to see the big picture, to see a goal in mind, and to go and to step forward. And uh, I, I think about just our own context, right? How many needs and oppor- opportunities, a better word. I want to use the word opportunity. How many opportunities we have for service here within our own church? Um, whether that's working with kids, whether it's working with sound, whether it's working on projects that we have going on and helping people restore their homes, so many opportunities to work, so many opportunities to be busy. And by God's grace, we do have a lot of people who step in and do that, but the opportunities are great. They're there before us. And, uh, and so I think this is just should be an inspiration for us, um, that we would naturally think about these opportunities that we have, Nick. By God's grace, we too might be eager, that people might have eager hearts to serve, eager hearts to work. Um, that it would not always be the same people volunteering, but that new ones would step in and, and would, would, would be willing to work, and that we would willingly welcome them into these opportunities to work. That's one thing. A- another thing, I think, is that we should be impressed by their sense of solidarity, and I think those things come together. Um, this very diverse body of people from all kinds of different backgrounds come together for this one mission and linked arms. And again, it's, it's not even necessarily that the goldsmith is going to use his special skills in this way, but he's stepping in, he's building a wall just like everyone else is. And so there is this sense of, of putting the mission first and, and doing work together uh, as sort of a brotherhood and sisterhood together. And so I'm inspired by that as I read the text here. You know, this, this story is a picture of what God's people can do when we come together. Now, there's a lot we can do on our own, maybe. Two or three of us can do something. But what if we all came together? What if everyone linked arms, everyone set their minds on the same thing? Um, just a little preview, Operation In As Much. You know, it's coming up this spring, right? God willing. And that's a thing where anybody and everybody can come together, right? So many different ways to serve. Um, as, well, as well as just the work that we do in the church on a week-to-week, month-to-month uh, basis. So many opportunities that by God's grace that we might be impressed with the eagerness and with the sort of humble and devoted solidarity together. Not, not, not a posturing, not, not a desire for our own glory, but always putting the mission first. So a couple practical things. But, but now, sort of a, a more theological thing, a doctrinal thing I want us to think about is what I hinted at at the beginning. That uh, we are seeing here as we read this text, even just this one chapter, book as a whole but just this one chapter in particular what we see the fulfillment of the prophecy that jeremiah gave in chapter 29 
Jeremiah said that one day God would restore Jerusalem, that at this point, up to this point, laid in ruins. And so God here fulfilling, and, and we could look at the prophet Ezekiel, who proclaimed that God's people would one day dwell again securely within their own city, in the city of Jerusalem. And so God here fulfilling these. Church, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Always. Always. And so we see just one more of countless examples in the scripture of this important point. Something that should, should always give us a sense of perspective, a sense of groundedness, a sense of hope that our God fulfills his promises. Now, it, it, although we, we saw that there are a few people who were unwilling to work, these nobles in verse 5, for instance, others probably that we wouldn't know about, um, but, but largely, in general, most people here have come together, things are going well, there's good initiative, and they're getting going with really without any significant opposition, right? But if, you, if, if you've read ahead, and if you know this story, you know that that is about to change, that there is going to be some external opposition that's going to come against them that is, is not going to completely halt their work, but is going to make it a whole lot more difficult. And so that's what we're going to see next week um, as this external opposition comes, primarily external. And then we'll see sort of the response of the workers, which I think is also going to be very inspirational to us. The sense of conviction that they have, the sense of boldness and courage that they have um, as they step forward in their determination to get this project done uh, as God had directed. So that's, that's what we're looking at in chapter 3. Any final thoughts or, or questions or insights as we... So we conclude, yeah, Josh. It is not, but it'd be pretty close in terms of its size. And just a, a, a thought of that, it's largely, so this, so this wall would have been a little bit smaller than the ancient wall that would have been before. And I think the one today is, is probably in a slightly different proportion too, but some of it might be shared. Uh, of course, we know that there's a, so the weeping wall, you ever heard of that? So that would be part of the original wall. So even before this one would have been Solomon's wall, right? Um, has anyone ever been? Someone might even have been there. Yeah, I've seen some of this, right? Um, really good. good great, great question. Yeah. Right. Right. There's a lot. Part of, the, part of that ancient wall, again, so the weeping wall is one small part. It originally stretched down a further hill, um, but I'll try to keep all these historical details. I could talk a lot. Um, but when they built this, this second one, there was two reasons why they made it a little bit smaller. Number one, the city was just a lot smaller, just depleted population. Again, a lot of them had been hauled off, a lot of them had been killed. And the other one is the opposition we're going to see in chapter 4 and 5. So there's this, basically this earnest, we better get this wall done before, before we're not able to do it. Yeah, And... and uh, the, uh, the people who were old enough to have remembered the original wall, they noticed that some things were different in the proportions. Sort of some nostalgia there. Anybody else? Thoughts, questions on that? Great question, Josh. Anybody else? Okay. Well, God willing, we'll get into chapter four next week. And uh, I'll close this with a word of prayer tonight. Thanks for coming. Hope you can stick around and fellowship a little bit. Hug a neck, give a fist bump. Shake a hand, and, uh, and God willing, we'll see you on Sunday. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I, I ask, Lord, that, that this would, Lord, in, in, in some really simple ways, but important ways, God, rest on our minds today. God, an eagerness to do your work, an eagerness to serve, an eagerness to serve together, oh God.
and all the different opportunities that exist here in the church and outside the church, God. I think about ABCCM. I think of our work over in Haywood County. I think of so many areas. God, I just pray that you would, um, God, that you would bless us, encourage us to do that. And Lord, that we would hold on to that hope and that, that foundation, that groundedness, Lord, that we know that you do answer. God, you're, you ultimately fulfill all of your promises. And uh, Lord, that one day you will return. And God, you will set up your kingdom in its fullness. And this is even a picture of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.